You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Now as we turn our attention to hearing the scripture, Maddie Schmidt and her family, the Schmidt family, are going to share with us the traditional reading for today, the reading that comes from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' entry into the holy city of Jerusalem. Now we know he's been there before, but this is different. This is when all the forces, both for and against Jesus, were coming to a climax. They were at the place where it was going to go one way or the other. And as we hear this story, I want you to not only hear about the celebration of the parade, but the undercurrent, the tension, and the glimpse that while everything looks pretty good on this moment, soon there will be challenged to come. Hear the scripture and be blessed. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found the colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The, the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Schmidt family. And now I invite us all to join together in a brief moment of prayer. Gracious, loving, and eternal God, Hosanna. Save us now, and in this moment we pray our reflections, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds would take us on a journey of faith towards a cross to be a people of resurrection. It begins now. Walk with us in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So this past week I was in a parade. It wasn't a parade that was planned, and certainly I didn't plan on being in it. It was an unusual kind of parade. I was in Montrose taking my father from one care facility to another, but we were making a stop at his house first to get some things. And as I'm driving down his road, getting close to his driveway, we passed our neighbor's 
And our neighbors are wonderful people, and they have some livestock, among them some goats who just had two young kids, chocolate lab-looking baby goats, precious, cute. And I'd already gone over to visit with them several times in the past, but on this day as I drove by, they were in the front yard. Nobody was out around them. They were on their own. Here's what they look like, um, and they are precious, but they should never be in the front yard by themselves, I thought, so I pulled in. And as I pulled in the driveway, I hopped out, and then I thought, now what do I do? How do you lead goats to go back to a pen? They don't know me. I don't have any food for them. But because they are friendly goats, I guess, all I did was start clapping my hands, saying, come here, here we go, come on, let's go. And they looked up, and they came towards me. The kids were skipping and jumping, and the adults were coming along pretty quick. So I started walking, and we went on our merry parade. I at the very head, and them coming alongside me. And we bounced our way back to the gate, and I got to the gate door, which was open. And they went in. Well, all of them went in except one, and we need to have a conversation about whether he was going to go in or not, and he finally did. And I really enjoyed that moment, getting them back in the pen, making sure they were safe. I had fun watching those goats run towards me. It was a cool little parade. And it got me thinking about the parade of today. Palm Sunday is about a parade, right? It's about Jesus coming into the holy city. And yes, he's been there before, but this is that special moment. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that there were those who were going to get excited about seeing him he knew there were enemies who were lying in wait for him. And in this parade, you can tell that in some ways it was foreordained. God had prepared the way. There was, in fact, a cult that was waiting for him. And as they go into the holy city, Jesus and his disciples discover that not only are they excited to be there, but others are excited to see him. People were flocking and throwing their garments and palm branches on the pathway and shouting, Hosanna, save us now. There wasn't deep theological thinking about that. People were caught up in the moment, but they also were living in a time when they needed a sense of hope. And maybe this one, maybe the stories they had heard about this one would mean that ultimately they would receive the hope they were yearning for. Hosanna, save us now. And our thinking about Palm Sunday has often been about that parade. But as I've been thinking about it, I began wondering what was happening in the mind of Jesus. In our Ephesian study, uh, we talk about having the mind of Christ. And I was thinking, I wonder what was in Christ's mind as He's going into the holy city. Now, there are those who think, well, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He was prepared for it, uh, probably in a way which says he wasn't all that stressed about it. But it seems to me that unravels when we get to the Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying to, to God on that uh, Monday, Thursday, late night. Lord, if you can find another way, 
if you take this cup away from me, I don't want to go through this. Don't force me to have to die. Tells me that the human part of Christ was very much struggling, even then. So on Palm Sunday, as he walks into the holy city and then rides on his donkey, I began to consider, is it possible that Jesus is wondering, is this worth it? Is the risk that I'm taking worth the difference that it might make? I mean, the reality is there's a real good chance and inevitably proved to be true that he was going to be killed. Why would Jesus be willing to face that as a possibility in his life? He could have stayed on the outskirts, become an even more popular preacher. Why take that risk? And of course, the answer is in part because it was part of God's plan. Because there was some understanding that this is what needed to happen, that God needed to enter into every aspect of the human condition, including what it is to be betrayed, what it is to be mocked, what it is to be tortured, and what it is to die. So the power of God could redeem even through all of that. Now that's our theology. But I'm thinking as Jesus is riding to the Holy City, that theology probably didn't bring him a great deal of comfort. I think about Jesus thinking about the days to come. And then, as I've been thinking about that over the last few weeks and getting ready for this service, for this message, I had a chance to talk with my daughter, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and her family, Matt and Elena and Caroline, all live in Cary, North Carolina. And Elizabeth was in charge for some time of a preschool, a significant-sized preschool down in Cary uh, that uh, had to stop meeting because of the pandemic. But during the the time before the pandemic, uh, she led a fairly large program with a wide variety of students of ages and backgrounds. And among those who came to the school were some on scholarship from right next to the church, right in the area of the church. And Elizabeth was particularly focused on and drawn to some of these children who came from families where there was a great deal of economic challenge. There was challenge because language, English, was not the first language in the home. These families were from outside of the United States. They had come in uh, illegally. And they lived in what would best be described as substandard housing in the neighborhood. And yet they were reached out to by this preschool and the church that sponsored it to get scholarships so their kids could come to school. Elizabeth was drawn to them. She began to get to know them and in the process discovered their story. At first, the relationship was casual and had to grow because there was a lot of uncertainty about who she was and whether she could be trusted. You see, these families live even today in fear that a knock at the door could mean that ICE was there to take them away. And when they realized that when Elizabeth knocked, all she was doing was bringing them food or other resources or just visiting. And over a period of time, 
Elizabeth moved from being the head of the preschool to this family to being the kid's teacher to becoming the friend of this family, particularly the friend of their mother. And in that friendship, there was this opportunity for Elizabeth to hear the story. The story of how the mom had been born in a small rural village in the backwoods of Guatemala, in an area of the country that was very unsafe. Unsafe because of the drug lords and the cartel. Unsafe because there was really no medical treatment available to them. Impoverished because there was no real education available to their children. And the future of their children was rather bleak. Not much hope for them to have a life far beyond working in, for the cartel or for the drug lords. And so this mom and her husband had to make a hard decision for the future of their family. They had four children. One was a baby. The oldest was 10 or 11, a girl and then the two children in between. And they decided to take the risk, a risk that I don't know that I could have taken, to try to get to America. To do so, they had to pay coyotes, people who would help escort people across the border, to help guide them on the long journey, the journey on foot to get to the U.S. border. They couldn't afford to take the entire family. So they left the two middle children with the grandmother, figuring the eldest child would probably be able to uphold and withstand uh, the, the arduous journey they were going to go on. Of course, the baby had to be with mom. And they made it here. And they made it to Cary, North Carolina. And they lived there connected with or surrounded by a few other families whose story is not unlike their own. Now, why would they risk such a journey? The truth is, some of that has to come from them because it's their story. And I could sit here and say, I could never have left two of my children, but when you're faced with the odds of perhaps losing all of your children into lives that you don't want your children to have to live. I don't know. But they decided the risk was worth it. And now they live in America. She helps clean houses with other women for our more affluent side of Cary, North Carolina. She receives a little money for it. And now they've made the decision to try to get the other two children here. And so they sent money to a coyote, someone they've never met, to bring their two children into America, the two that are left. It costs $8,000 a child, $16,000 to bring these children in. Not certain of how, whether or not the journey will bring them here safely. Not certain as to the coyote intention, whether it's completely honorable or whether it's suspect. But they're taking the risk because they have hope that it might bring their family together. So knowing that I've never had to make 
the same choices that these friends of mine have had to make. I've never been put in that kind of position. Um, but when I hear their stories and when I hear of everything they've gone through and even the things they go through day to day, the kind of fear, the level of hardship and fear that I've just never experienced, I know that in a way it makes sense to me that their faith is so strong because when they read about the sacrifices and the choices that Jesus had to make that put him in danger or made him unpopular or made him um, be seen as somebody that people actually wanted to kill, that people didn't think deserved any kind of mercy or grace, I think it makes sense that they find such comfort in their faith and that they find comfort in Christ. Because who can relate to their story and their struggle and their hardship more than Jesus? It's certainly a connection that I'll never, I have never had with Jesus. I pray I never do in that way, through that comparison. But it's a gift um, to know them. It's a gift to have that friendship and it's a gift to walk alongside people who are able to teach you what true faith, generosity, um, and tenacity look like. And for that, I'll be incredibly grateful and pray that I will always keep my eyes open and be willing to make the connections with the most unlikely of friends. Elizabeth is a friend of this family. Elizabeth and her kids go back and forth with this family. They just had a birthday party uh, where the daughter of this woman, same age as our Elena, um, they have birthdays close to each other, a birthday party in their house. And so Elizabeth and Elena and Caroline went and attended this party. And yeah, they don't have a lot, but it was one of the best parties the kids have ever been to, they said. They, they didn't rent a bounce house. They didn't rent, you know, a trampoline. They didn't rent a, someone to come in and perform. They just had family together and good food, and people had a blast. And Elizabeth says, these people are to be known by two characteristics. One, a deep and profound faith in God. They are deeply committed to their Catholic faith. They are also, she said, the most generous people I've ever known in my life. Elizabeth goes to try to help them, and they inevitably won't let her leave without them giving her something. She's never left their house where they did not give her food for Elizabeth's husband so that Matt can have the good food of this family. And in an interesting twist, Elizabeth, as a friend, by getting to know what this family was about and what they had and what they didn't have, realized suddenly that a simple task like getting their laundry done was quite a challenge. They don't have a washing machine and dryer. They don't really have the extra funds to go pay for it in a laundromat. And Elizabeth, recognizing what 
this challenge was for this family, said to herself, I can do laundry. And after some considerable conversation, his family began to allow Elizabeth to do their laundry. They think about that. Anglo, white, relatively affluent young woman doing laundry for illegal Hispanics. As Elizabeth talks about it, it's not her liberal guilt, it's not her white privilege guilt, it's not her affluence guilt. She does it because she has friends and they need help and she can help in this way. So she does her laundry. And she prays for her friends who have to take risks that you and I have never considered. Wouldn't it sure if we knew how to navigate those risks if we were in their spot? This isn't a political story. This isn't about how you feel around immigration. It's about understanding human beings who live in situations unlike anything we know, being forced to make the best decisions they can to care for their family. In a world where we oftentimes try to avoid having to take risks, we want to manage our lives, we sometimes get to the place where we want to manage our faith. We want to have a faith which protects us. We want to have a faith that keeps us within boundaries. We want to have a faith that placates us, that serves us. But Palm Sunday exists for us to understand Jesus did not live a life of faith that made it safe for him. It called him to be faithful. And on that day when he rode into the holy city, he wasn't being political. He wasn't against the Roman government. He was about caring for the people in front of him, whoever they were. He went and decided to take this risk, I think, because he decided the risk was worth it. If this risk could allow the power of God to be released even through all the horror of this week to come, if this risk could help defeat the power that death ultimately has over us, all of us, every one of us, that is worth the risk. Jesus was willing to take the risk because he loved us that much. That's who our Lord is. And so on this Palm Sunday, I celebrate the, the parade. It's fun to think about. I'd love to have been there laying down some palm branches myself and shouting to the crowd. I'd love to maybe have been one of the disciples leading the, leading the parade. But that's ultimately not what today is about. It's about whether we're willing to take the risk that we too face that could lead us into a future of hope. That could lead us into a possibility of blessings for others. That we would be willing to risk in the name of Jesus Christ not to serve ourselves and not to indulge ourselves into our deepest passions, but rather to be willing to risk so that we are drawn closer to Jesus Christ, yes, and we are drawn more effectively in helping fulfill the purpose of God in the world. 
Elizabeth's friends in Cary, North Carolina, have found a way to live their faith and risk at the same time and believe that God is with them in the midst of that. And I'm not sure that they might not be the best example of what Palm Sunday is about for us today and might be the witness that we need to think about, about the risks we are willing to take. There are terrible risks that you can make in the world. There are risks that self-serve. There are risks that give over into our indulgences. But there are also risks that bring about the intent and power of God in this world. They're worth taking. And every day we delay, there are others in this world who suffer. I pray on this Palm Sunday for a world where children and families will not have to be separated. I pray on this Palm Sunday for a church that is willing to take risk for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's not always expedient, but always faithful. May God bless us that we would have the courage to do what is right, not what is easy, including walking with Jesus into this week ahead. To God be the glory. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.